Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. I said give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. Crazy is as crazy does. And you married me, so guess what? I just wanted to clear that up before we went any further. Uh, How many first-time visitors are here this morning? I want to ask you, please, please, please give this church another chance. Do not judge them by me, okay? Because I'm from America, and I might get Pastor Phil in all kinds of trouble. And he has to like us because we're family. (laughs) So just... Just count this as your free Sunday, and then come back another Sunday when he's preaching, and then you can make your decision, okay? But um, if, if you don't know, if you don't know me, I'm Lydia Marrow, and I serve Shake the Nation's Ministries, and I'm not even one little bit ashamed of the Holy Ghost. We, we are the kind of ministry that we don't believe in putting the Holy Ghost in the back room on a Wednesday night. We're not ashamed when it gets a little bit messy. In fact, we get worried when it doesn't uh, because we are Bible-toting, devil-choking, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking, devil-rebuking, Pentecostal. And I don't know what you came for this morning, but we didn't come to play church. We didn't, I, I don't know. I, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, and I've been in 9,473,683 church services. I have heard it all, seen it all. You could, it is highly unlikely that you could shock me in this church this morning. I've seen a lot of stuff, okay? But let me tell you what, if we're going to have one more cute meeting, we can all go on to the house and have some Sunday dinner. We're believing for nothing less this morning than a life-changing encounter with the Son of the living God. So if that's the kind of meeting you want this morning, then this is going to be fun for you. And if it's not, then you're going to be really uncomfortable for the next little bit. And I would apologize, but I'm not sorry. So, you know, we're just, like I said, give Pastor Phil another chance. But we are honored to be with you this morning. There is... uh, There's a lot going on in the UK and in the US right now. I find it so interesting that in the United States on Tuesday, we're going to elect a president. And Lord have mercy. As an American, I want you to know that we all know that they're both crazy. I looked at my husband. I said, good grief. We've all joined the circus and we didn't even know. Nobody asked me, and we've joined the circus. But in the same year that we've got Donald and Hillary doing whatever they're doing, we had the UK and Brexit. I want to thank you for that. You made me feel better. We came to, we came to the UK the week after Brexit, and it was just so lovely to see somebody else's government freak out. <laughs> I was like, we're not the only ones. <laughs> but you know... When you've got this much upheaval in governments and when you've got this much shaking in nations, I find it interesting that it's happening in the U.K. and in the U.S. at the same time. When you've got that going on, it makes me wonder, because I don't know if you all have noticed or not, but God usually doesn't show up in a powerful way in a nation when everything is rosy. 
Anybody read a little history from time to time? I've also noticed that the UK and the USA have had revivals apart from each other. But when there was a national great awakening, we've never had a national great awakening apart from each other. We might have declared independence, but we're still buddies. John and Charles Wesley. I mean, come on, y'all. This is, we're, we are connected. So if our nations are all acting crazy then it must be that we can no longer look to our government as our source. It must be that we can't look to our leaders as a substitute for the Messiah. It must be that God is getting ready to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And you better get ready because here it comes. Okay, well, I'm going to go back behind here because y'all don't look like y'all awake yet, but that's okay. I want to preach this morning a message about the fire of God. If you're familiar with Shake the Nations at all, the fire of God is something that we love to talk about. We, and, and we, oh my goodness, I think we'd have to just absolutely bind and gag Nathan Morris to keep him from talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. I mean, it would just be a, a serious challenge for him. But I want to speak this morning about when the fire falls. How many know we can't just have services with chill bumps? We've actually got to encounter God. How many know we've got to have an encounter with the fire of God? Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 18? 1 Kings chapter 18. I don't know how many of you this morning actually read the Bible from time to time. I hope it's more than like three. But... The, the prophet Elijah was a guy that if, if he came into King's Church this morning, you would probably, on first sight, you would probably have the ushers take him out. Because Elijah looked like a crazy man. The Bible describes him as a man with long, unkept hair that wore like this fur garment. I mean, Captain Caveman. Did anybody watch the Flintstones? Okay, we've got some honest people in here. Thank you. I love the Flintstones, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But this guy looked like Captain Caveman. He's wearing, he's wearing these, these animal hair garments. He's wearing a mantle. He's, he's unkept. He doesn't smell very nice. And he certainly was disruptive of everything he came into. He'd have messed this whole church service up. This is a guy that walked into the king's court. And screamed at him that he was backslidden and that the judgment of God was going to fall and that it wouldn't drop one drop of rain on the land for the next three years until Elijah said so. This is not seeker sensitive. This guy was not, this was not a made for TV revival. This wouldn't have gone over very well. You would have been offended if you ever heard Elijah minister. And Elijah came to a point where Israel was so backslidden, they were so far from God, they had begun to worship the false god Baal. Now, if you do a little bit of research, Baal was an absolutely horrific idol to worship. This was a representation of a demon. Is everybody okay with me this morning? And I don't see any kids in the room, so let me tell you, Baal worship included every kind of sexual immorality you can think of. Okay, and it also included, if they've excavated in architectural excavations in Israel, they've dug up these clay pots, and in these clay pots that were in front of this Baal idol, inside the little pots were these little tiny baby skeletons. Do you think abortion is new? In my nation alone, we have slaughtered 58 million unborn babies. 
It's not a political issue. It is murder. And it is a a worship of a false God. If you're in the room and you've had an abortion this morning, I love you and Jesus can set you free. It's okay. We can get you you okay with God. It's okay. But there's no way we can sugarcoat this. It is a worship of a false God. And, And Elijah came to the point where he said, enough is enough. How many know a real prophet will confront you with decision time? And Elijah screams at the top of Mount Carmel. He says, if the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. But you're going to decide today. No longer will you waver between two opinions. This is the decision point. And so he sets up this this incredible contest. And you probably, if you're Pentecostal in the room and you've been raised in Pentecost, you've probably heard a sermon about this before. This one might be a little different. But Elijah sets up this contest and he says, we are going to set up an altar. I'm going to set up an altar and the prophets of Baal are going to set up an altar. And what's going to happen is we're going to put a sacrifice on the altar and the God who answers by fire, that is going to be the God that Israel serves. They agreed to the terms. They were confident in their demon God and they they all get ready to have this crazy contest of a worship service and Elijah let the Baal prophets go first 450 of them now I don't know if y'all have read this story lately but these guys were so crazy they could hide their own Easter eggs and still be surprised (laughs) I bet y'all don't say that in the UK do you (laughs) It's always funny. I never noticed those things until I'm in a pulpit somewhere. <laughs> These guys were nuts. They begin to, they put their sacrifice on the altar because you could prepare the sacrifice, but you could not light it on fire. Remember, the God who answers by fire is the God we're going to serve. So they, they get ready and they begin to call on Baal to, to let fire fall. And they, they begin to dance around this altar and screaming out for him. And while Israel watches, while Elijah watches, Then it gets a little awkward because they take their clothes off. How many are glad you're not a Baal worshiper this morning? It's too cold in this whole entire country to be a Baal worshiper. I'm going back to Florida very soon in the name of Jesus. I'm just telling you. But they take their clothes off and they start dancing around this altar. And they're screaming, trying to get this demon God's attention. Well, nothing happens. So they get out their knife and they begin to cut themselves and the blood begins to flow. You think this cutting yourself thing is new? And, and, and Baal still is unresponsive. Nothing is happening. And they're beginning to panic. And in that moment, Elijah, the not so nice prophet, begins to say, Hey, surely Baal's a real God. Maybe, maybe he's just taking a nap. Y'all, it's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. He even said maybe he went to the toilet. I'm telling you, Elijah's not Mr. Nice Guy. And he's mocking these guys. Well, nothing happens. They come to a point of exhaustion. They're bloody. They're absolutely spent. And they're laid out in front of their altar that still doesn't have one little bit of fire. And then it's Elijah's turn. Can we pick up in the scripture with Elijah's turn? Verse 30, you ready? Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. 
would to God that there would be a people in the United Kingdom that would repair the altar of the Lord. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. Verse 36, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, the commentaries tell us, is about 3 in the afternoon. It was right before evening time. They woke up with the sun and went to bed with the sun, so evening came a little early for them than it would for you and I. At 3 p.m., that was the time of the evening sacrifice. Every single day at the temple, that's when they would offer a lamb. And What's interesting about this is the time of the evening sacrifice, the Gospels tell us that this is when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross. Okay, you with me? Verse 36, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know, O Lord, that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Holy Ghost, help us cooperate with you this morning. You see... (laughs) Modern Pentecostal church, we tend to think that the fire of God is enthusiasm. We tend to think that the fire of God is passion. It's fervency. It's somebody screaming on a microphone. Come on, have you ever been in a Nathan Morris service? You, we tend to think that, that, that it's, it's decibels, that it's, it's just intensity. The problem with this is that God is not like fire. He is fire. He said of himself, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I am a consuming fire. The fire of God. Some of the most passionate people I've ever met that, that are burning with the intensity of the fire of God are not loud. It's not a personality type. If it was, we could excuse your apathy and your lack of passion and your lack of fervency. No, it's not a personality type. The fire of God is God himself. When, when, I went to, when I was 12 years old, my family went to the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida for the very first time. We were... My father was a very tired Assembly of God pastor. He was right on the edge of burnout, okay? And, and 
we didn't, dad had been grown, he had been raised in Pentecost and he wouldn't have crossed the street to see somebody shake or fall down under the power of God. He, that wasn't impressive to him because how many know, have you, some people fake that stuff. When we found out that 5,000 people had come to Christ in a matter of just a couple of months, we made a road trip. And I know this is crazy to those of you in England, but I mean, we drove eight hours to go to a revival, a 500 mile trip, because we were just desperate. If God was doing something that significant, we needed God to touch us. And I will never forget the night at Brownsville that I ran into Jesus and on that carpet, my normal died and please don't anybody resurrect it. I feel so much better. I was paralyzed by fear. I know you don't believe me, but I had stage fright. I used to hide behind pews and shake. I knew I had the call of God on my life, but I was terrified to do what God said I was supposed to do. But when I got up off that floor, I was fearless. And in the midst of this, I, uh, they took us to the Brownsville Revival about once a month for the next five years. I went to the School of Ministry in Pensacola and graduated there. I've been educated far beyond the level of my intelligence. <laughs> and came back home and then went to serve Pastor John Kilpatrick, I would have told you, I would have told you that I knew about the fire of God. I could even quote some scriptures about it. I could have convinced you. But as I served Pastor John Kilpatrick as his worship leader, we had a conference in 2010 called Open the Heavens. We just thought we were having a conference. We didn't know what we were getting into. And my pastor invited this crazy British, British evangelist that we'd never heard of before, Evangelist Nathan Morris. We didn't know him. And when he came, we sure enough thought he was nuts. I mean, he was screaming and hollering all over the place. And it was like, wow, I didn't even know the British could do that. I love y'all, but y'all are about the calmest people I've ever run into in my life. <laughs> so not y'all particularly. Other British people. Nobody in this church is calm. Don't look at your neighbor. Just look at me. It's okay. <laughs> but I remember the second night Nathan spoke. <laughs> We're coming to the end of the night. And you got to understand, this was a long conference, a week-long conference. So this was my ninth consecutive service. Pastor Kilpatrick thought that I was the only worship leader in the world at that time. There was none other. And so I had no backup. So I had man voice, Phil. I was full... <laughs> You know, Perry Stone was there and he told me that I sounded like Janis Joplin. I was like, thanks. <laughs> it's really not what you want to hear if you're a female vocalist, is it? And so I, I sounded horrible. And in South Alabama in July, um, I don't do Celsius real well. How hot would it have been? I mean, it would have been 37-ish. It was hot. You could fry an egg on the parking lot. I'm not kidding. That's an experiment that kids do in school in the South, okay? And so it was hot. Now, you know how y'all run the heat over here because you're not going to get cold in the winter? I mean, even if you don't necessarily need to, you're going to run the heat because you're not getting cold. That's how we feel about the air conditioner in the South in the summer. We're not getting hot. And so they had the air conditioner on Arctic it was freezing in that room. And when, in this particular moment toward the end of the service, my voice is gone and it's cold and I'm exhausted. And Nathan Morris says, we're going to pray for everyone that wants prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> I was like, where did they get that guy? Send him back. 
there were 1,200 people in the room. And Nathan looks at me and goes, and Lydia's going to lead worship while we do it. And I'm like, I'm never going to make it. So I looked at the usher beside me and I said, I'm going to do about three songs because my voice is about to blow out. I still got to sing Sunday morning. Come on, y'all. I wasn't feeling very spiritual at that moment. Have you ever been to church when you didn't feel spiritual? Don't answer. It's a trick question. And it better not be this morning either. <laughs> but so there was not, uh, there was not a, 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 an atmosphere in the room that was conducive to what was happening with me right then, okay? I wasn't in the mood. I wasn't in the spirit. Are you okay with me right now? Because I don't make stuff up. This is just how it was. And in that moment, I don't know what anybody said that triggered the experience. I, I don't remember. I didn't have time to say, what would Jesus do? I didn't have, are you okay? All of a sudden, from my left... I was on this side of the room, and from my left, a hot wind blew across that room, and it punched me in the stomach. For those of you who feel like the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, this is really going to bother you. <laughs> I would challenge you, by the way, where would that be in the Bible? You really want to think that the Holy Spirit conforms to rules that we made up about propriety? Because if that's true, he's got to apologize to Saul. Because when he was converting to become Paul, he knocked him off his donkey. That's not very nice. <laughs> I'm just saying. That hot wind came across and hit me in the stomach. And it picked me up and it body slammed me in front of God and everybody. It went from being cold in that room to I felt like the flesh was coming off my bones. It was so hot. I literally, I literally thought that God was taking me to heaven. I literally thought God was killing me. I, and I didn't know why. I had never had an experience with God that, that was that intense. Raised going to the Brownsville Revival, cutting my teeth in an atmosphere of the glory of God. And I did not know what had just hit my life. And when I hit the floor, I heard this awful sound. It sounded like somebody had shot a cow. I, oh! That is horrible. What is that? And it's getting worse. Oh! And then I had this horrible revelation. It was me. <laughs> if you watch that video of that night, you can hear the cow screaming in the background. It was me. <laughs> Y'all, that night, it would be an over an hour before I could get any kind of language to work. I couldn't get English to work. I couldn't pray in the Holy Ghost. Nothing worked. It's like the Holy Ghost punched me in the stomach and knocked the wind out of me, okay? I mean, I was done. I was done. They hauled me out in a wheelchair that night. I couldn't walk. I couldn't drive my car. Somebody threw me in my car and drove me to my house and threw me on the couch. This was not a two-second tingle down the spine. But in that moment, on that floor, I said, God, what is this? I thought I knew the fire of God. But when it really hit my life, I had no answer for the intensity of what I was experiencing. See, God's not like fire. He is fire. And when he hit me that hard, I said, God, what is this? And right about then, my pastor said, this is like Father's Day 1995. God, do it again. And that moment birthed what has become known as the Bay Revival. And it's what went around the world and led to, led to me meeting my husband. I mean, God did some crazy. Revival's got good side effects. <laughs> we were going to bring a really cute little baby boy to see y'all too, but his grandparents appropriated him. Come to me after church and I'll show you about 7,000 pictures. It'll be okay. 
But when the real fire hit me, I had no answer for it. It overwhelmed everything I had ever experienced in God. We've got to have more than just passion. Because how many know sometimes on a Monday morning when the worship team's not there to get you in the mood and Pastor Phil's not there to cheer you on, how many know sometimes you just don't feel it and you've got to have something that's going to sustain you? I'm talking about Monday morning Christianity here. I'm talking about where the rubber meets the road. When you go to work, in, this has to work when you go to work in the morning or what you experienced in here is not real. If, if you happen to be a note taker, I won't throw anything at you for that. Number one, the fire of God always falls on the altar. The fire of God always falls on the altar. I, I wish I could tell you that the fire falls on the pulpit. I wish I could tell you that the fire falls on the congregation. But let me tell you, the fire of God always falls on the altar. The first thing Elijah did was he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he was very methodical about it. See, the altar's not just a place of prayer. Don't get mad at me. The altar was not just a place of prayer. We have, we have made these words, we've sanitized them, we've, we've made them very Western. Let's talk about what an altar really was for just a minute. First of all, Elijah selected 12 stones to represent each of the, of the tribes of Israel. What is he doing? He's reminding Israel, you might be backslidden right now, but you've got a heritage. You're standing on this piece of real estate because it's your inheritance, because you are one of the tribes of Israel. And this is your inheritance from God. You are in covenant with God. You might be backslidden, but you have a covenant in place. And I'm reminding you of the heritage in your life. If you're in this room this morning and you're backslidden and you're away from God, the covenant is still in place and he is reminding you, you have a heritage, you have an identity in God and you must come back. You must come back. The word of God says that he is married to the backslider. You're not going to get out of this that easy. He, he built this altar methodically to represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel. When he called on God, he called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. to remind. It's the covenant reminder. There's a, there's a covenant in place. And he repaired the altar that had been torn down. See, the altar, it's the place of intentional sacrifice. The place of intentional slaughter. The difference between a priest and a butcher was prayer. Sacrifice. Oh, don't get mad at me. Don't send me any mean emails either because I'm handy with the delete button. (laughs) Sacrifice. We have westernized that word where we now think it means inconvenience. I don't feel like worshiping today, and you didn't sing the song I like, so I'm not in the mood, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway because this is my sacrifice of praise. Okay, well, you should inconvenience yourself with your worship. You should worship and praise God whether you feel like it or not, but that is not sacrifice. That's being a grown-up. Can I preach this morning, or do you want me to tell a fairy tale with the fairy Christmas lights? I've never heard of that before. Fairy lights. I'm like, what are these fairy lights they've got over here? We don't have those in America. I'm pretty sure. But, you know, I've been married to an Englishman for four years, and I still learn a new word every week. 
It's a multicultural thing up in here. No, sacrifice does not mean inconvenience. Sacrifice means slaughter. Sacrifice is what happens that causes you to be able to eat a Big Mac. Sacrifice is when they take the cow off the pasture and put it on the chopping block. Is anybody listening this morning? And it's messy and it stinks and it's bloody. This is not rated G. This is not child appropriate. It was messy. The altar was the place where the blood flowed. And it is only the place where the blood flows that the fire of God will fall. That's why I'm thankful that in this church you've got a pastor that's not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful that that you are proclaiming the gospel not just in these four walls but out there on the streets of Cambridge. Because let me tell you what, the the, the old songwriter in the U.S. said it this way, the blood of Jesus still flows to the highest mountain and it still flows to the lowest valley. It is the blood that gives me strength from day to day and it will never, never, never lose its power. Glory to God. Glory to God. You ought to shout in here. You ought to shout in here. Hallelujah. We've, we've got to where we make church so sanitary. We don't want the Holy Ghost to move too much because it might freak people out. We don't want to talk about the blood because that's gory and it's old-fashioned and it might, it might offend people. Well, let me tell you what. It offends me that you're ashamed of the Son of God. It offends me that he hung naked in front of his mother, bludgeoned to death on a cross, and we are embarrassed by what he did on our behalf. That is offensive. And only when we get back to letting the the gospel have its rightful place, only when we get back to honoring Jesus for shedding his blood is the fire of God ever going to fall. And let me just meddle for just a minute. The altar wasn't just about prayer, but it is certainly about prayer. It is included in there. And you ought to be busting the prayer meeting at this church out the seams. You ought to, that ought to be your favorite service. You know, when we go, when we travel around the world, we found, and not just in America, but the Americans are the worst at it. We have found that if you do an all worship service or an all prayer service, it is the least attended service. Of that church. And the reason why is. Because they don't feel like they can get anything out of it. Excuse me. We aren't worshiping you. Jesus didn't come to be a part of your life. (laughs) The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1. That he came to have first place in all things. He's got this crazy idea. He thinks he's God. I'm going to talk about sacrifice for just another couple of minutes, but I don't want you to think I'm talking about money. I want everybody to relax your wallet muscles. <laughs> We're not taking up any more money. This is not about money. Because that's the other thing. We've made sacrifice. Well, we're going to give. And that's good. You should give to the work of the Lord. That's great. But right now, we're not talking about sacrifice. When Paul identified sacrifice, it didn't look like money. It didn't look like inconvenient worship. You want, you want some Bible for it? In Romans chapter 12, he said that you're the living sacrifice. It's you on an altar completely surrendered. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Hold up. You mean it's not a song service? Hey, I thank God for music, and I'm going to have a good time this afternoon, and I hope you come hang out with me. But music is tools. It's a hammer. It's a screwdriver. It's just a tool to help us worship. Music isn't worship. Worship looks like you on the place of intentional slaughter, completely surrendered and ready for the fire of God. That's the Bible. Okay, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, man, don't you love when Paul just takes it one step too far? Like, that was a little mean. Here's what he's saying. To the degree that you're on the altar, completely surrendered, no more agenda, no more plan for your life. You're just climbed up on the altar in the place where the blood flows and waiting for the fire of God to hit your life. That is the degree to which you know the will of God for your life. Ouch. You know if you have a Holy Ghost that doesn't rebuke you, you don't have the one from the Bible. He leads and guides into all truth. So we got to look at that. We've got to look at This means, don't look at your neighbor, just look at me. Just look at me. Okay, you ready? This means that if you are in perpetual confusion about the will of God for your life, you are not on the altar. No way. Confusion comes when your will is in, is in direct competition to the will of God. That's where the confusion comes. Because how many know the Holy Ghost ain't confused? Come on now. I know I said that Southern. How do we say it in Cambridge? The Holy Ghost is not confused. I like it my way better. He ain't confused. He's not wondering what to do with your life. He's not sitting there vexed thinking, how in the world am I going to get her from point A to point B? No, he knows exactly what to do with your life. He knows exactly what is best for you. He knows what you need to fulfill the assignment he's given you. The only confusion that ever sets in is when you think you've got a better idea. Abraham, Abraham tried that. And now we've got Ishmael. How many know God does not need your help? He's God all by himself. See, okay, okay. Back in, this, in America, in Georgia, where I come from, the, the old mamas would get up in the church and say, He's God all by himself. He don't need nobody else. They'd say, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I'm just going to have church by myself. If you're not going to have, if you're not going to have church with me, that's your problem. I'm going to have church by myself. I'm going to preach myself happy. The only confusion ever comes when we try to help God. When we try to let there be a a better idea. I think I'm going to do it this way because, you know, God will understand that I'm just going to do this. I've been waiting too long for the promise to come. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. 
There's 25 years gap between God telling Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child, and then it actually happening. You think you've been waiting on God for a while? Have you been waiting 25 years? Ouch. <laughs> yeah, ouch. <laughs> if you can't say oh, me, amen, say oh me. That's what my granddaddy used to say. There, there, when we begin to think we've got a better idea than God, how many know that is pride? Oh, I said that. The fire of God only falls on those who have given up their rights to their life. We call Jesus Lord. Well, let me remind you. So you have actual lords in England. We don't have any of those over there. We have some people that probably think they are, but they're not really. But let me remind you that Lord is a word of ownership. You don't own yourself anymore. When you surrendered to Jesus, you gave him the title deed to your life. You are not in charge. I want to I move on because I don't want to preach the everlasting gospel. I think in a few minutes, I feel, like, I feel like God, I feel like the fire would like to demonstrate himself. Hallelujah. I don't want to take too long. Number two, <laughs> the fire of God completely consumes the sacrifice. Completely consumes the sacrifice. See, I'd read that story in the Bible a million times, and I had never seen it. He didn't just consume the sacrifice, but he consumed the wood. He consumed the stones. He consumed the dust. <laughs> he consumed all of the water in a split second. Now, I, I, I looked it up. I'm, I'm, you know, not, <laughs> I don't even know what... I'm not a geologist or anything like somebody who would know what they're talking about with this, but I have Google. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I looked up what temperature would it take to actually melt rocks because it says it consumed the stones. Now, it says it consumed the stones. I didn't look for that. I just looked for melt. So I don't even know what we're dealing with there. But a fire hot enough to melt stones, depending on exactly what kind of stone, is about... 1,500 degrees Celsius. I, I, I want you to imagine. I mean, when that fire fell, there was no one in the surrounding area that didn't feel that heat. When that fire fell, in a split second, it went from there being an altar with a bloody sacrifice on these stones to there was a crater where the altar used to be. Come on, if you were standing too close, you didn't have any more eyebrows. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> My husband's feeling a conviction of the Holy Ghost right now because one year he decided to have a bonfire in our backyard and thought it needed a little petrol. And he came back in the house without any eyebrows. (laughs) He's not allowed to play with matches anymore. Just pointing that out. He really loves me for telling that story right now. (laughs) Y'all, I'm in big trouble. Who would like to drive me to you? I'm riding with y'all back home. I'm riding with y'all. No. But when that sacrifice, when that fire fell, the sacrifice was completely consumed. Now, if you're the sacrifice, if you are the living sacrifice, what the Bible is requiring of us, that we live completely consumed by God at all times. 
We have to live completely overtaken by the power of the Holy Ghost at all times. That means if this afternoon you think you're going to go get some lunch, but when you get out of this church, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go to the supermarket at such and such street, talk to this lady and tell her this. That means you don't have the right to say, no, I'm hungry. You have to live consumed with the Holy Ghost to where you can go over there and prophesy to whoever that was and lead them to Jesus. And then y'all go get a sandwich together. But you have to live that surrendered, that you postpone the needs and desires of your own life to obey the will of God. Does anybody want to be a Christian this morning? Remember, Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me to the execution. I came, I came to tell you this morning that your flesh is not going to survive the fire of God. No way. Nothing about your plans and your dreams is going to make it. It's got to be purged by the holy fire of God. See, holy, let's talk about that word for just a second. It means separate. It means separate. Does it mean that? Did I make that up? Or does anybody read the Bible? It means living separated. That means in this room, we are all together, right? We're all in this one room together for one purpose. But in this room, there's only two people with the last name Marrow. We're separate from you. And you're separate from us. Why? Because there is a name that has been put on our lives that makes us different. There's a name that's been put on our lives that immediately designates us as different than whoever else is around us. The minute my son was born, he was given a name. He was given the name Malachi David Marrow. He, we all call him Malachi, but everybody knows that he's got that last name Marrow. He is separate. He's not a Johnson. He's not a Smith. He is a Marrow. He's ours. His name speaks of his identity. His name speaks of his heritage and of his family. He has been called separate from everybody around him. Come on, am I talking to anybody who has been adopted into a new family, who has been given a heritage, grafted into the bloodline of Jesus Christ, and given a name that's been put on your life that makes you separate from those around you? (laughs) We don't have the right to be culturally relevant. We don't have the right to be socially normal. We have been called separate. We are in this world, but baby, we are not of it. That means we can love everybody no matter what you do. We have unconditional love for you because we're loving you with a love that doesn't come from our own selves. But we will never condone your homosexuality because we are separate from that sin because it separates you and us from God. We love you and you can be set free. But some things are right and some things are wrong and we've been called separate. And if you want the fire to fall, you must be more aware of the holiness of God than your own need for comfort. I'm looking for church people that are willing to live holy. I'm looking for somebody that's willing to say, you know what? I can't watch that on television because it grieves the Holy Ghost. That's the rule in our house, by the way. If we feel the Holy Ghost grieve, we change the channel. Doesn't matter how much we like the show. Doesn't matter how cool it is. And if I never hear of church people watching a bunch of vampires and zombies and stupid junk like celebrating a spirit of death, it's ridiculous. And the Holy Ghost is grieved. 
If you can sit and watch television and listen to somebody take your father's name in vain and call it comedy, guess what? It's time to get get back on the altar, get back to the blood, get back to where the fire can fall. But Lydia, nobody's gonna think I'm not nobody's gonna think I'm cool if I'm not watching The Walking Dead. Sometimes I wanna just do like Jesus and make a whip. <laughs> Kick over some tables. Make a scene in church. When you celebrate things that are of that spirit of death, you make it comfortable in your house. And then you got a problem. Because with that comes depression. With it comes anxiety. In fact, let me tell you, someone in the room right now has been suffering from anxiety. I want to read a couple of scriptures that you may not have ever heard read in church. Because people don't like them. (laughs) We like to act like we like the whole Bible, but how many know we do pick and choose. But I I want to read a little bit to you about the holiness of God and how he conforms us. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Isaiah 48 verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can I let my name be profane and my glory I will not give to another? See, when he talks about refining us as silver, I I had to look it up because, I mean, I need to know what we're talking about. How many feel like you've been in some fire of affliction? It's okay to say, it's okay to admit that in church. It's okay to not have it all together. None of us do. Okay? I would rather you admit it than lie in church. Come on. So when he talks about refining us, see, God will put you in his fire. He will take you into himself, into that furnace, and he will begin to refine you. When a, when a silversmith begins to refine silver, what happens is they heat that fire up. They crank that heat up to where it is white hot until the, everything in that pot that is not silver starts to come to the surface. They call it dross. It's impurities. It's soil from, the, from where they mined the silver. It's just stuff from the earth. It's just not silver. And everything that's not silver rises to the surface in that hot heat. And so the refiner will take something and scoop that dross off the top. Then he heats the fire up, white hot again, until everything that's not silver rises to the top again, and he gets some more out. Then he does it again, and then he does it again, and then he does it again. And the way he knows he's finished is when he can see his own reflection in the silver. How many have asked God, why is this not letting up? Why can't I, why am I in the fire? Why is this not letting up? 
He's getting everything out of your life that does not look like Jesus. Everything in your life that looks like this world, that looks like the nature of this world, that looks like your fleshly dreams and desires of things that you want outside the will of God. The Lord is heating that flame up until all that stuff comes to the surface and he's pulling it out of your life by the power of the Holy Ghost and he will keep on doing it until he sees his reflection in your life. Are y'all mad at me? I can't tell. I just need to know whether or not to tell Nathan to crank up the van. I just need to know. (laughs) You laugh, but we've had to make a break for it before. (laughs) We won't talk about that right now. See, oh, number three. I'm doing so good keeping up with my numbers today. I usually get them confused by like two. Sesame Street was a real challenge for me growing up. No, I'm kidding. The fire of God always attracts all attention to its true source. See, (laughs) when the real fire falls, nothing can stand in its way. When the real fire falls, all eyes are on Jesus. I love that Pastor kept saying today, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the only one that we can look to that won't disappoint us. He's the only one who is the source of the fire. John in the book of Revelation said that the eyes of Jesus are blazing like fire. Because he is the fire. He is the fire. See, when the fire of God falls, you no longer have the right to be impressed by the next big preacher or the next hot shot minister or the next brother wonderful, come on somebody, to chase their anointing. (laughs) Oh, good grief. I've noticed, Phil, that in the early church, in the book of Acts, it never talks about anybody chasing anybody around to get in their prayer line to get their anointing. Because John said to the church in the the book of 1 John, he said, you have an anointing and it's from the Holy One. It's not from the big shot behind the pulpit. It's from the Holy Ghost because it is the Holy Ghost and you don't look to an outside source for what only God can give. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Stephen. He was a waiter. (laughs) This guy was a waiter. But he was, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He had begun to do signs and wonders and miracles. He was out praying for people. But nowhere do you find that that happened because he chased Peter and John around. Like, oh, put your hand on my head. No, he wasn't, he wasn't, woo, out there with the Care Bears and the Smurfs. Come on. He wasn't doing all of that. He wasn't trying to go to the next conference. There's nothing wrong with conferences unless you just become a conference chaser and live for the next Holy Ghost buzz. It's not the Holy Ghost you're feeling. It's hype, and we've got a problem. No, he wasn't just running around to see if he could get some pixie dust up in the air and see if he could feel a chill bump. No, he had been baptized with the Holy Ghost himself. He had encountered Jesus for himself. He didn't know any different, but while he was waiting tables to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, and people were healed. He didn't know any different but to share the gospel and confound the religious leaders of his day. He was just doing what the Holy Spirit in him said do. He wasn't chasing somebody's anointing. When the real fire falls, all eyes are on Jesus Christ. Nobody can be impressed with the flesh anymore. (laughs) Oh, I want that revival. That's the one I want. 
I even remember at the bay when people were trying to chase Pastor Kilpatrick and Nathan Morris and myself around. And I'm just going, if y'all only knew, we are just dressed up dirt. We've got nothing outside of the Holy Ghost. There's not one little thing about my life that's impressive. There's not one thing about any of us that is impressive. And there's certainly nothing that can stand in the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit. It's only Him. It's only Him. There's there's no way. I, I don't want to disappoint you this morning, but there's no way if you came this morning for me to heal you, there's no way it's going to happen. There's only one who does that. His name is Jesus. He's the only one. I want that revival. I got to hurry. Oh, Lord, help us. Okay. If you hadn't got mad yet, this might do it. <laughs> the fire of God immediately obliterates everything that stands in the way as a counterfeit. <laughs> See, the first thing that happened once the fire fell was Elijah said, grab those 450 prophets of Baal. We're going to kill them. That's not nice, is it? When the real fire falls, see, somebody said that revival is when God gets sick of people misrepresenting him, so he just shows up to represent himself. When he really shows up, nothing that is of the fake can hold your attention anymore because there's only one who's worthy of our attention. Every counterfeit has to fall in his presence. If mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, who do we think we are? I believe the days of saying that you can give a 1,000 pound offering and receive a, a, an anointing of triple favor are over. You can't sell the Holy Ghost. Also, you know, Mary had a normal dose of the favor of God. And she is now the most famous woman in history. That was a normal dose of the favor of God. Triple favor? What is that? I heard a guy say that on TV. If you give a 1,000 pound offering, you'll receive the anointing of triple favor. I threw something at the TV. I was so mad. Nathan doesn't like to let me watch Christian TV anymore. <laughs> I believe the days of ministers building their own kingdom and running their own agenda and blaming it on God and trying to, trying to sell you things and put church lingo on it, I think those days are over. And thank God that we're here too long. We need something authentic from heaven. We need heaven to invade earth. We need heaven to invade Cambridge. I don't know what kind of revival you want, but I want the kind where only Jesus is lifted high, where nobody, nobody can fulfill their own will and agenda and, and wear the church out with, with their kingdom building, their own kingdom mentality. I don't know. I don't know how you feel this morning, but uh, Nathan and I are desperate to make sure that our lives are connected to things that are eternal. We make sure that our finances only go into investing in eternal things. When we give to a ministry, if, it, if we see, we're not to be critical. I'm not talking about being the high sheriff of heaven. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever met anybody like that? That's not fun. I'm not talking about being critical. I'm talking about watching. And before we invest in somebody's ministry, we make sure that it's not all centered around one man. We make sure that he's linking arms with other people for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of eternity and to see souls saved and people touched by the power of the gospel. We make sure before we ever give a dime that that is what's going on. Because I don't have time to invest in things that are superficial. 
And I certainly don't have the money. You know what I'm talking about? When the real comes. See, I don't know how they do it in the UK, but in the States, when, when they're training people to recognize counterfeit dollars, they don't train them by showing them the counterfeit. They train them by making them spend hours and hours and days and months and years studying a real dollar. They know every detail, every nuance, every brush stroke, so that when they actually see a counterfeit, they're never even fooled for a moment. We need the fire of heaven to fall, the real fire of heaven. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.